Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman. And today I'm going to talk with you about a very exciting event that we are offering to the community in a few days time on Purim Katan, the 15th of February. That's Tuesday coming up very soon. This is an event that we call Judaism, the soundtrack. And a lot of people have been asking me about the event, what it is. And so I wanna talk a little bit about this concept of Nagina of Jewish music, the heart and soul of Jewish life in a sense, or you could call it perhaps the heartbeat because can, here's a question. What could speak but has no words? thinking you give up well we call it music music can speak in ways that words do not just think of the first concert you ever went to or that angsty band you discovered in 10th grade that blew your mind and changed your life or at least it gave you a soundtrack that when you hear it today brings you back to those exact experiences And this is true even of music with lyrics. A song will take you to places an essay probably wouldn't. And that is why we at Chabad House, the Jewish Learning Institute, we're delighted to present this very special event called Judaism, the soundtrack. It's a musical experience. We will be exploring nigun, Hasidic melodies, beyond its soulful sound. So here on Chai FM, you're often listening to Jewish music. What we are going to do is go behind the scenes of Jewish music at this event. As the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shner Zaman of Liadi, the founder of Chabad Hasidic philosophy, taught us that music is the pen of the soul. So I'm inviting you to come and listen to the story of your soul in its own words, to the feelings, to the, the love of the longing, the devotion, sometimes even the despair of life. But it's expressed in the complicated relationship between a spiritual soul and a material physical, physical world that we live in. Music is one of the ways to actually express those exact feelings. And indeed, in fact, I want to share with you some ideas by various great Hasidic masters over the years of how they described Nagina. And perhaps we could spend some time today looking a little bit back at Jewish history of Nagina, of understanding the background of Jewish music. And so you could come to this event. It is an event on Tuesday, the 15th of February, 6.45, we'll have a wonderful, wonderful dinner, where I should call it perhaps a light dinner, but some of the food you could look forward to at this event we have ordered, how does this sound? Breaded crumbed mushrooms served with garlic and herb mayo. And we have, we have um, loaded nachos with, with uh, guacamole and chunky tomato salsa. We have um, fried fish and wedges in a cone. We've got salmon and vegetable poke bowls. We'll have sushi chef making sushi for you right there on the spot. We'll have wine and other goodies, nice beverages for you to enjoy. And of course, we'll have to end the evening with a nice dessert 
which you'll get to enjoy as well. So we're really planning a wonderful evening. And at 7.30, after you've enjoyed some nice canapes, that's when the music will begin. Actually, even during dinner, we will have our string quartet comprised of a cello, flute, violin, and piano, all playing for you beautiful Jewish music. But then we have a very special audiovisual program, which will include our musicians as well. So there will still be more recitals throughout the evening, the rousing music. And you'll experience that along with the inspiring visual accompaniment, as well as the meditative commentary that I will please God share with you that night. This is a high caliber production along with everything else. Oh, I can't forget we have a, a beautiful playbill that you will go home with that night. So don't hesitate, book your tickets. You can go to myjli.org.za where you'll find the link to buy your ticket on Quicket. And that's where you'll find that you can book, book your tickets. But because of COVID, we have very limited seating for this evening. So I encourage you to book your tickets very soon. We are more than halfway full and we will be sold out soon. And ticket prices go up on Sunday from 280 to 390. And if anyone's gonna, if there will even be tickets available at the door, they're gonna be 500 Rand. So really you wanna book your tickets ASAP. And this my friends, whether you speak one language, which I guess is perfectly normal, or 16, oh my goodness, some people, my father of blessed memory used to speak many languages. Are any of them called soul? And that's not just because Berlitz hasn't published the course in soul language. It's because by definition, our spirits communicate in subtle, subconscious, and often counterintuitive ways. In other words, there's no list of words or grammar rules of how souls speak. But I say with absolute confidence, souls do speak. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And of course, if you want to learn the story behind the negative Shamil, which I would be delighted to share with you. In fact, it's, it's a fascinating story. A story at the turn of the 19th century, Russia plundered territories from the Persian and Ottoman empires. But some of the Caucasus mountains, some of the Caucasus mountain tribes were laying in their way. And Russia waged decades of war. We're talking about decades of war with many of the people who stood in their way there. And uh, this is a story of history. You know, this is between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. And that's this area of the Caucasus. And the tribes who lived there, they came to be dominated by an ethnic group known as the Avars, meaning the mountain dwellers. And for good reason, the Avars built their ancient villages at altitudes that seemed closer to heaven than to earth. At the turn of the 19th century, Imperial Russia was in the throes of its expansionism. It plundered territories from the Persian and Ottoman empires, but found its roots south blocked by these Caucasian tribes. 
Now, Russia waged decades of war against these mountain people. If you think Russia's invasion into Ukraine is something new, well, it's ancient history, my friends. And just as the world is getting all roused up by this today, back then, this group, this these, whatever they were called, the the Avar, the mountain dwellers, they waged a tremendous war. They, they, they fought fiercely to defend themselves, to retain their independence. Now, at that point, there was a man known to history as Imam Shamil. He was born between the peaks in, 19, in 1797. And Shamil was a fearsome Avar warrior. He was also a respected religious leader. And in time, he became legendary for directing military campaigns that delayed Russia's conquest of his people, in fact, for decades. Eventually, Shamil was defeated and taken captive. The story goes, as I heard it from the Rebbe, that Shamil was lured from his advantageous higher ground, top of the mountain, by a Rus. You know, the Russians offered to negotiate peace and then when he came down, they said, gotcha, and they took him captive. The Rebbe explained this when he taught this nigan, and he explained all the aspects and elements of this story, which is a really fascinating story. The fact that the Rebbe taught the story and the lessons that could be learned because this chieftain, Mr. Shamil, the Imam Shamil, he became a powerless prisoner. He was left only with faith. That's it, just his faith was able to help him. But because he was a very talented musical composer, he composed this particular song, which we call Nigun Shamil. And people wonder often, how could a song by a imam, by this warrior, become a Hasidic melody. Well, for that, I told you that the Rebbe spoke about this nigam. And in fact, in the earlier years of his leadership, there was one day in the year when, of course, we express our deepest soul, our, our greatest joy, and that day is Simchas Torah. And each year, the Rebbe would hold a special Hasidic gathering of Fabrengen on Simchas Torah. And this nigan he taught at that Fabrengen in 1958. And he told them the story of Shamil's capture. In fact, you could go onto uh, Encyclopedia Britannica and they give the whole story. It tells you there how Shamil was born in 1797 in Dagestan, which is part of Russia. And it tells you how he was the leader of the Muslim Dagestan and Chechen mountaineers. And it tells you the whole story, how by the late 1850s, Shamil's reputation had spread throughout Western Europe and his exploits had become legendary. And it goes on in Encyclopedia Britannica, going on to describe how he ultimately was captured by the Russian armies who surrounded him, how he surrendered and how effectively this ended the resistance of his entire group. And how he was taken to St. Petersburg 
and exiled to Kaluga, which is south of Moscow. And there he ultimately got permission from the Tsar to make a pilgrimage to Mecca in 1870, where he died in Medina in 1871. So that's a little bit of the story about this fellow. But what does his song that he composed have to do with us here today? My friends, the Rebbe taught us this niggin. And he told the story of Shamil's experience. And the Rebbe explained that while in captivity, Shamil composed this wordless melody to express his crushing sorrow. But it also expressed his hope for freedom, his return to power in the future. And the Rebbe then taught his followers this very haunting niggin, as you just heard. But why? For what reason is he teaching this niggin? And he explained because this song has a message and its message mirrors the saga of our soul, of each and every one of us, of our own souls. A soul's natural habitat is the peaks of heaven. Only in heaven can a soul be fully radiant and free. But when it is forced to descend into a physical body, it's locked into the dungeon of materiality. Its self-expression is shackled by corporeality, by the physical constraints and limitations that we experience in this world. And so my friends, we live in a world where the very concept of divinity, of spirituality, of God can be denied. Yes, the soul descends for a positive purpose, to fulfill God's mission on earth. Having a divine mission, however, does not make the soul less of an alien, so to say, here on earth. And so it remains extremely nostalgic for heaven, like a candle is always flickering upward, trying to return, to go up. The soul, in a sense, yearns to return to its natural habitat. This niggin of Shamil, he begins his melody with a burst of painful emotion, a powerful yearning for his former freedom and glory when he was the mountain leader. And he longs to ride like the wind across familiar peaks. He wants to go back to his former glory. And just in time, Shamil catches himself. His yearning is replaced with optimism. With a single leap, his confidence carries him back to those mountains where he was the leader. Yes, he will return. He will win independence for his people. His captivity will catapult him to unprecedented determination. And he ends his song on a high note that expresses his ultimate triumph. Now, in reality, it's true, Shamil never did make it home. But he made it at least to Mecca, Medina, where he wanted to go, where, so to say, is the ultimate destination for a Muslim imam. And in a sense, when we speak about the soul's yearning, like Shamil, our soul pines for home to return to store to sorted heavenly peaks. But recognizing the dangers 
of that nostalgia, the niggin ends on a high note, indicating that our soul girds itself with confidence and optimism. It realizes that it will leap far beyond the heavens, directly into God's arms by observing the mitzvahs, by doing those things that bind us and connect us with God's deepest self. And yes, it will win the long war against darkness by filling our world with divine light. And so at that Farbrengen, at that very gathering where the Rebbe spoke about this nigun, Shamil's nigun was no longer just the song of a Muslim imam, but it was adopted by Hasidim. It became a Hasidic nigun. There's no words, so of course that make it much easier to adapt. And because, in fact, actually, the majority of negunim are wordless. You see, words can be useful. Right? They provide sharp focus on a direct message. But words address the mind and are therefore shackled by the intellect. A wordless melody does not carry this limitation. It travels far deeper to a place within our identity where language cannot possibly reach. And so, when you listen to a negan, you have to think and connect how your own soul is yearning for God. And then of course, as you connect, you open your heart to its message. You will allow it to touch your deepest self. That's the story of a niggin. A niggin is an expression of the soul. Now imagine you are able to express your soul's very yearning. And this is exactly what we intend to do at this event. Yes, there'll be food. It will be wonderful. And as you listen to the niggin, you might find yourself closing your eyes and you sometimes feel all the feelings and just connecting with it. Well, my friends, that is what we are looking forward to experience on this special evening of pure delight, where you'll just connect with the music as well as with the inspiring visual accompaniment and the meditative commentary that will help you to really truly connect with Nigam like never before. We'll be right back, right here on Soul to Soul. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 High FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman. Well, that's our invitation to you, my friends, to catch the beat. You must join us for the special event, Judaism the Soundtrack, an evening of musical entertainment and enlightenment. My friends, you know, a great event combines food, friends, and fun. And we've got all that for you. So what more could you ask for? Well, at Judaism the Soundtrack, we're raising the tempo with another dimension. My friends, feeling. If you join us for this event, you will experience that an event that will enlighten, it will entertain and will inspire you bodily and spiritually. You don't want to miss this immersive event that will explore the depth of nigunim 
Hasidic tunes. As I explained to you earlier, we'll have visuals, media, a string quartet, the, the sound, the sights, you will discover the language of your soul. And you just have to go to myjli.org.za to book your tickets. It's 280 per person. And well, actually the price does go up in a few days time. So seize the opportunity now. And I want to share with you a little bit about Nigunim. You know, song has always been at the heart of the Hasidic life and the Hasidic way of life. Nigunim, which are usually wordless, wordless melodies, oftentimes you'll hear, I, da, 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 da. okay, don't listen to me sing, but my point is it's oftentimes, ay, ay, ay. What's the ay, ay, ay? There's no actual words. And that helps us apply the tune, if you want, to a part of your prayer or when you're studying or just a nice gathering. Many of these nagunim are considered acts of divine musical inspiration. Some of the most uplifting works were composed by the founders of the Hasidic movement. Some nagunim are attributed to the Balshemtov. Other famous Hasidic masters like Rabbi Chil Michels Lachever, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Barditchev, many of the other Hasidic masters, very famously the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, himself was a preeminent composer of Nagunim. And as I mentioned before, he said that the song is the pen of the soul. And at times, he even answered practical questions that people asked him by answering with singing a nigan, a wordless melody. Songs served not only in the avoda, the divine service of the way a Jew serves God, but also it's a sort of a cultural currency of Jewish people and certainly of the Hasidic movement, something that's, that, you know, you go back to European Jewry, but in general, all of Jewish people, whether it is Ashkenaz or Sephardic, whether Hasidim or Hasidically challenged. Everyone always enjoyed Nigunim, this idea of song as part of their way of serving God. And that's why we have so many beautiful genres of Nigun. You listen to Sephardic Nigunim, it has its style and obviously influenced by the eras and the areas where they were composed. And you look at Ashkenaz, likewise, they certainly have influences of the places where these songs were composed and the eras when they were composed. By the mid 20th century, more than 200 years of musical tradition was actually in danger of being lost. Judaism in Eastern Europe had gone up in flames during the Holocaust, which we commemorated this week, or was suppressed during decades of Soviet repression. And most survivors were either trapped behind the Iron Curtain or faced the assimilation and indifference of life in the West, in America, most Jews assimilated. Luckily and beautifully here in South Africa, the tradition of Judaism has certainly been preserved. And that's something that we are very grateful. One of the unique aspects of this wonderful, amazing community that tradition has been preserved. There's a famous um, musician, composer, a writer of Jewish music named Velvo Pasternak. He actually just passed away recently, a year or two ago. And he played a critical role 
in recording and transcribing many, many of these tunes from the old country from yesteryear and preserve them for future generations. Today you go online, go to our website, ChabadSouthAfrica.org, and you could get the sheet music, the scores of so many Nagunim. And just go into Spotify, listen right here on Chai FM, how much Jewish music you listen to. Much of it is to the credit of those who managed to preserve it. This Velvel Pastanak, during his lifetime, he recorded hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of melodies from Chabad Labavitch to Mudjits, to Babiv, to Ger, to other Hasidic courts, and many Sephardic melodies, and many modern Israeli ones. And this fellow with a recorder and notebook in hand, he traveled the world to document all these songs. The imprint that he established, he published dozens of compilations of Jewish songs. And key to his work was the deep respect in which he held communities whose music he recorded. He was actually a Canadian-born immigrant, or parents immigrated to Pol- from Poland. And as a child, he relished the Nagunim he heard at the Majitsa Stiebel, where his family prayed in Toronto, Canada. His mother, seeing his son's gift for music, decided to buy him a piano. And as you know, they say the rest is history. So that's a little bit of how part of the, how the music, a lot of the Nagunim were ultimately preserved. And this was something, you know, you think in Russia, the previous Rebbe, he expressed an interest in teaching Nagunim in a more organized fashion. So back then in the yeshivas, the students learned Nagunim. It was like, so to say, part of their curriculum that on a Friday evening, they would spend time singing Nagunim, spend time learning the songs of Jewish history. I guess that's the best way for these Nagunim, for these songs to be preserved because they certainly are a very vital part of Jewish life. And as a child, I grew up listening to records of Nichach. Nichach is a set, a recording of melodies called Nagune Chasidi Chabad. <laughs> the singers were, were people of the previous generation, but they shared with us. Maybe it wasn't the same as the modern, you know, the, the latest technology, but for those days, for the 1950s and 60s, these productions certainly gave us a taste of the Nagunim of yesteryear. And today, we actually give people the opportunity to come and experience the Nigun, these beautiful melodies at this special event that we'll be holding. Because this is exactly what we're trying to achieve, is to give people the opportunity to experience Nigun in a most beautiful way. And I certainly encourage everyone to seize the opportunity to come to this very special event, to be part of it, to experience it. It's something unique, 
something you probably have not necessarily experienced before. It's not a lecture. It's not an activity. It is what we call Judaism, the soundtrack. It's Hasidic music, the beat behind the wisdom and inspiration of Hasidic thought. And come on the 15th, when I will have the privilege to share with you some of my personal favorite Nagunim. These melodies at this very special event that I have no doubt you'll appreciate. You will, you will go away from on a high. The sights, the sound, the media will really delve into the mysterious world of Hasidic tunes and experience the mesmerizing qualities that lift them above probably any other genre of songs that you've ever heard. Each piece that we will explore on that evening is packed with nuance, with depth, with the history you learn about these songs, where they come from. So it's an evening of great music, great food, and all around a great time. And so my friends, I encourage you to go to myjli.org.za and book your tickets today because this is the event that you wanna be at. An event, one of a kind, special, and you learn the secrets of Hasidic melodies. So I am inviting you to open, come, just come with an open mind, an open heart, be ready to have a great time. You don't have to be musically talented. You just have to have an appreciation that I guarantee you certainly will enjoy. And you don't have to come alone, by the way. You can bring your spouse, your teenage children or grandchildren, bring some friends, encourage some other family members to come. It'll be an entertaining evening. What more could you ask for? Some great food, company, and inspiration of these beautiful nagunim, these songs, and their teachings. So this is certainly something that you want to come and experience, hear the stories, be a part of it, because this is certainly something that is unique, no doubt, something that you will, a learning experience besides for the entertaining element that you are going to experience on that very evening. And if I could just share with you a little bit, you know, a story that comes to mind about Nigun that I think certainly, you know, gives a little highlight, a little taste of what Nigun, of what the power of Naginavs, of, of Jewish songs can really achieve. You know, we Jews have been gather, have, have, have been generating songs and playing instruments for millennia, you know, since the very beginning of our people. In fact, if I were to give you the history of Jewish song, it goes all the way very, all the way back to the very beginning. In, in the very beginning, we see shortly after creation that Adam Arishan, Adam composes a song in honor of Shabbos. And Mizmor Shirli Yama Shabbos, we say. If you just travel through history, you'll see that our scriptures describe Yuval as the first to play music on the flute. And Jewish mysticism explains that his music inspired a sense of surrender that is actually pivotal for spiritual growth. And go to Avraham Avinu. We are told by our sages that he composed an elegy for his wife, for Sarah, beginning with the words Eshet Chayel that we sing every Friday night. It's recorded in Proverbs and we sing it each Friday night. 
as a song, firstly an ode to the Akera Tabayit, the foundation, the, the Jewish mother, but it's also a song that is attributed to Avram Avinu, composed in honor of his wife, Sarah Imenu. Yaakov Avinu, our great patriarch, the grandson of Avraham, Jacob Abrams, no, what would his name be, Isaacson? Well, Yaakov Avinu, he believed that his son Yosef was killed by a wild animal. We know the story all too well. And when word arrives that actually Joseph is really alive and well, his granddaughter, Joseph, uh, Jacob's granddaughter, Sarah, she breaks the news to her grandfather very gently by playing calming music on her harp. So that's another famous biblical event of music. We have before that even, when Yaakov travels to Haran to live with his wicked uncle Lavan, he faces multiple challenges during his 20-year stay, but continuously praises God in song. And his songs, many of them, are included in Tehillim. Other famous events, remember the splitting of the sea, which was like the finalizing miraculous liberation of the enslaved Jewish nation after their emancipation from slavery in Egypt. And what happens then? Moshe Rabbeinu Moses promptly leads everyone in a vocal ode to God that we say every day. Az Yashir Moshe, Song of the Sea. And his sister Miriam leads the woman with tambourines in hand and music and dance and song. We describe this in our prayers every day. The musical pitches and all that was something that is part of ancient Jewish history. The prophetess Devorah and Barak, he was the commander of the Jewish army in his time. They sang victory songs and thanked God for their miraculous defeat of the Canaanite enemies in the land of Israel. And as you go through Jewish history, King Shaul, King Saul, he uses his music to inspire a state of prophecy. And we are told that after years in Philistine captivity, the Ark of the Covenant that we read in this week's Parsha about its construction with the Mishkan, that's returned to Jerusalem. And what happens then? King David, David HaMelech, probably the most famous musical composer of Jewish history. King David publicly dances and sings as musicians play their harps, their, their instruments, the tambourines, the cymbals. And King David then organizes the special choir of the Levium and the orchestra that's responsible for the musical accompaniment of the tabernacle sacrificial service. The, the temple itself, part of the daily service was a musical experience. There was like a daily concerto in the holy temple. And throughout history, read in our scriptures about the Jewish armies when they were victorious at war, whether it was in the times of King Saul or David, they always, or King Saul, all the, throughout history, always celebrate with dance and song and music. And King David's son, Shlomo Malach, he composes, I mean, Shira Shirim, think of that, Song of Songs, which portrays two lovers praising and pining for each other. And of course, the sages tell us that each verse in Shir HaShirim, that many people read every Friday night, actually conveys important insights into the relationship that we have with Almighty God. So song and music, as you can see, 
are an important, important part of Jewish history. There's, there's uh, Navot who travels to the temple and sings before the entire nation, capturing their attention with the sweetness of his voice. And then we are told that when the, I'm trying to think what other events, the uh, famously, I mean, Al-Nawra's Bavel, the Babylonian army, when they sacked Jerusalem and the first temple was destroyed, and what happens? They order the captured Levites to sing joyful hymns that they used to sing in the temple. They wanted them to sing those, but the Levites, they disobeyed and they discarded their harps. And they cried, how can we sing God's songs in a pagan land? Very famously. And when the Jews returned to Israel after the whole saga of the Purim story, which we celebrate in less than six weeks, Ezra leads the return to the land of Israel. And among the returnees are 128 Levites who were promised to restart. They were primed to restart the choir of the Levim. And so the daily concerto returned to the Holy Temple. Go a little bit further. After the temple's destruction, the second temple, Rabbi Lazar HaKaler, he composed piyutim, these liturgical poems that are chanted and sung in most, in, in many shuls to this very day. In the time of Rabbi Sadia Gaon, he wrote a philosophical work called Emunot Videot, Beliefs and Opinions. And in the final chapter, he discusses the eight rhythmic modes known at the time and their influence on the human soul, which again was a very important part as the Jewish people now in diaspora, exiled, temples both destroyed, yet we continue and music was an important part. Rabbi Shimon ben Yitzchak of Mainz in Germany, he composed many piyutim, many of which are still sung in Ashkenazic Jewish communities to this day. Rabbi Yehuda Halevi, 12th century Spain, he composed numerous piyutim, which are still sung in the Sephardic communities today. Then there was Obadiah, the proselyte, who inscribes Jewish liturgical hymns using medieval musical notations. Be interesting, in our playbill, you'll see pictures of these. And I invite you to be part of this. Those who come to this event will receive the playbill. We'll get a chance to see a manuscript from Avraham Ibn Ezra who authored a work called Sefer Hatzachut, which is linguistic correctness. And in this work, he advocates that a poem intended to be sung should be written in equal metrical units. If you continue throughout history, 1272, there's this beautifully elegantly designed machzer. You'll see a picture of it in our playbill that was completed in Germany. And the cantors who used this volume, they inserted makeshift musical notations to help them sing the liturgical poems. And this machzer actually survives to this day. It's currently housed in the National Library in Jerusalem. You'll see a picture of it in our playbill. In the 13th century, Rabbi Yehuda the Pious encourages all Jews to search for tunes that they find appealing to use them to sing the text of the prayers. Somber tunes, obviously, for more personal requests and joyous ones 
while praising God. And he also insists that one should not use the excuse, I don't have a pleasant voice, as you may hear sometimes a voice in your head or coming from me. Because, as Rabbi Yehuda said, song is the best vehicle to inspire a love of God. In the 15th century, Rabbi Yaakov, known as the Maharil, he functions as a cantor, the chazan, in a number of German Jewish communities. And many of his cantorial customs are recorded and preserved. Today, several melodies traditional to the Ashkenazic rite are attributed to Rabbi Yaakov Maile, known as the Maharil. In the mid-16th century, the mystical community of Tzvat in Israel, they initiate a whole renaissance of Jewish poetry and song. For example, Rabbi Shlomo Alkabetz, who composed L'Chadodi that we sing every Friday night, and others who composed so many hundreds of beautiful zamirot, beautiful negunim songs that are sung to this very day in Jewish homes during the Shabbos meals. There is Rabbi Yehuda Maskato of Mentura, who published a work called Nefutzos Yehuda, which includes an examination of music from the perspective of Jewish tradition. In our playbill, you'll see so much of actual um, images of many of these songs or books that were composed, that were, that were published during that era. The various piyutim, you'll see pictures of uh, Haggadah that's published with Pesach songs, with the musical notations, talking about from the 16th century. And then, of course, came the Hasidic movement. The Baal Shem Tov, when he started the Hasidic movement, he made it a focal part, a tremendous emphasis, the role of song in Jewish life. And that's where you have the history of Hasidic Nagunim. But even before the Baal Shem Tov, I see a beautiful work here of Yiddish songs with musical notations in them. And that's from that's even preceding the Baal Shem Tov. You think about today, Jews worldwide, we share a universal yearning for our return to our promised land. And so today, Jewish music is a very important part of our way of life, as you can hear all the time right here on Soul to Soul. And my friends, at this event that you are invited to book tickets to, we're almost sold out by now, go to quicket.coza for ticket details, or you could go to myjli.org.za where you'll find the link to Quicket and book your tickets because you don't want to miss this event. We'll be right back with some concluding thoughts.